Hey, this is Kevin from Kevin's Barbecue Joints, and welcome to Kevin's Barbecue Joints Podcast. And I am super excited about this one. That's with Dr. Nick Nicholson. He's from the Meat Board. If any of you have seen photos from the barbecue camps that Food Waste Texas puts on and Texas A&M, you've probably seen Dr. Nick Nicholson. And I sure didn't know a lot about him. And I was interested, and I've, I've been meaning to talk to him for a long time, and we finally got a chance to connect. He comes with an amazing pedigree. He has an undergraduate degree in animal science, a master's in food technology, and a PhD in microbiology. And he is beyond a wealth of knowledge in food safety. And I wanted to pick his brain and learn his path and how he went on that path and why he went on that path and how he got connected to the camps, which he went to Texas A&M. So it makes a lot of sense, but I didn't really know his path to begin with. I also wanted to talk about the meat board because it's an amazing butcher shop in Fort Worth. There's not a lot of good butcher shops across the country. That number is dwindling for the amount of great butcher shops. And Fort Worth has an amazing one. It's open Tuesday through Saturday from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. From 11 to 2, they have an amazing lunch. And he describes that. He describes everything that they do at this butcher shop in detail. Everything is upper choice to prime. You get poultry, lamb, seafood. They'll cut to order. It's an old school meets new school butcher shop. They also have... Uh, Joe Risky is there, and I interviewed him. I'll put a link to his interview below. I've inter interviewed him a number of years ago, and he's smoking meats, so there's that component, too. They're going to start doing classes. The interesting about, thing about this is they opened up a couple months before COVID hit, so they've been dealing with that animal, and especially everyone who watches this knows how difficult it was to get meat during the early days of the pandemic, but they were able to supply people with meat. It's definitely going to be on your list of places to go. If you're in Fort Worth or around there, you have to stop by. They have a lot of grab-and-go items. They have wine items. It You'll hear all of it in the interview. I can't thank him enough for taking the time. I'm honored that he shared his story, and I'm honored that I could share all about the meat board because I've heard from a lot of friends that it's an amazing place, and I wanted to share that with you guys. So if you're enjoying these, please subscribe. That way you don't miss out. I do a couple of these per week. I have a website at kevinsbbqjoints.com. But at the end, stay safe and visit your local barbecue joint and your local butcher shop. Good afternoon, Dr. Nick. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I wanted to talk to you for a long, long time. And, and I wanted to start off, too, to thank you for your service. You were 21 years? Uh, 21 years in the Army Reserve, the Medical Service Corps. What exactly is that? We're the, we're the people that take field hospitals and mash hospitals and evacuation ambulances, helicopters to the field. That's very important. That's vital. Oh, man. Well, but thank you so much. And I had just, I hadn't known and I read when I was reading up on you and doing research, I, I saw and that's, that's really special. So thank you. And thank you for everything you do. The one of the reasons why and I mentioned it off air that I wanted to talk to you is because a lot of people have either seen photos, maybe photos from Kelly Yandel of, of yeah. you at the at the different camps and or have heard your name or have heard of the meat board. And so I wanted to kind of give some people some background on you. And then also, hopefully we could delve a little deeper into meat science and the meat board, if that's okay. Sure, we'll go anywhere you want to. <laughs> and I usually, I'm very tangential, but I, where, did, where did you grow up first off? I grew up in a small town in central Texas, Frank, Franklin, Texas. Franklin, Texas. About 35 miles northeast of College Station. Oh, okay. All right. So what was that? What was that like? It was a small town. Was that, do you like small towns? I, I loved it, uh, but I, I needed to get out of it. So when I left to go to college in uh, 1963, I, I never really went back. 
Have you been back? I go back uh, occasionally, but it's usually for something that's not fun. Yeah. Okay. No, I get it. My my grandfather had a ranch. My uncles had what we call farms. Anything less than a thousand acres was a farm. Oh. Anything over a thousand acres was a ranch. That's the way we described it anyway. So I uh, grew up on that, working that ranch from time to time. Uh, my uncles all deer hunted there and they all loved to cook. We had a huge pit out there to put uh, mostly live oak and some hickory on. Okay. It was uh, it was pretty much direct cooking. It wasn't any offset or anything like that. And I, I don't remember us ever doing a brisket. I was going to say, you never did? I think it was pre-brisket era. <laughs> For a but lot of we, people. Yeah, we smoked a lot of pork ribs and beef ribs and sausage and stuff like that. Yeah, I got kind of got a compassion for cooking from my uncle. In my mind, that sounds really, really special. And that sounds like ideal growing up and having that kind of, like, did you, so did you work on this on the farm then? We did. We, we worked cattle. We hauled hay. Those were the two main things we did. We didn't live out there. We stayed in the small camp out there. And then it was in the Navasota River bottom. Okay. So we had a lot of mosquitoes. <laughs> it's so and funny when wild, you see photos, you don't think of the mosquito part. Yeah, and, and pretty wild cattle. And then also probably rattlesnakes and other things. We had some timber rattlers, yeah. Yeah. The water moccasins were the oh were the nastiest. You have a PhD and a doctorate, right? But they're in two different things, right? Uh, no, just a PhD. Okay. So that we call it uh, when I was in the army, I had to tell everybody it was a doctor but not a real doctor gotcha okay so it's and it's in food safety it's in in microbiology okay and specifically food microbiology okay so i got undergraduate in uh, animal science uh masters in food technology and then a phd in microbiology i i went to a&m in the first place to become a veterinarian oh okay but my grades the first year were really really bad (laughs) Like a lot of people. So it took me three years to get back on track. So so was that, so the plan was to be a veterinarian. Did you want to go back? Did you want to go to a small town and be a veterinarian or was that? Yeah, I, I wanted to go home and be a large animal veterinarian and probably starve to death. <laughs> you probably would. And maybe <laughs> the, the path probably makes more sense. When did you, so then when did you get on this path? I took a course my junior year in dairy microbiology. Okay. And I had a professor named Carl Vanderzant. And he was just a magnificent teacher and mentor. So in the next four years, I took every microbiology course on the AM campus, including the ones out at vet school, the veterinary school. <laughs> just to get your fingers like this, kind of get into it a little bit. Yeah, I didn't, I kind of wanted to rub it in your face a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Can you explain to people what microbiology is then? Well, it's in food microbiology, it's a study of uh, the most common bacteria that cause food poison. Okay. And we're also very involved in studying those organisms that are probiotics and are used to manufacture dairy products. So we have kind of a bad side and a good side microbiology, but it's all back then it was, we, we knew how to use a microscope. And today they have uh, DNA tests, mm-hmm. PCR tests, and they don't have to have a, a microscope anymore. 
So they do, but wouldn't you, do they still have classes where you could use a microscope at least to get people to have that knowledge? Yeah, the basic courses are going to show you what they look like and how to, how to stain them to, to start the differentiation to try to identify them. You had to know whether they were what we call, what they call gram positive or gram negative to start with. And then that would put you on a, a trail down one path of decision tree versus going down the other side. And, and is this, are you trying to find this because it's are, as if like an eventual career you'd be doing, looking for these things in a testing product to make sure it didn't have these things? Or are you testing to see if they're having a problem then they could test them? Later on, I did both okay. because I worked in uh, commercial testing laboratories and owned three for a while. But it, it was mostly when I started, I wanted to be in, in diagnostic microbiology, identifying organisms, unknown organisms, doing mm-hmm. research on those organisms. And uh, it, it just ended up, my first job was in seafood technology. Okay. <laughs> and that's, what is seafood technology? Well, was, I got kind of thrown into it, but it was a job. I had, I had the entire Texas coast that I worked. I worked with shrimp processing plants, oyster processing plants, crab picking plants, and so do you find that like it's i don't want to scare anybody but did you find places that were ridiculous that you that you couldn't believe the the practices that they had oh absolutely absolutely i i couldn't believe that the health department hadn't been there earlier but most of them were, were really trying hard they didn't know I can imagine what they needed to do and they wanted to do the right thing so i worked with a lot of good people during those years and then i went into the lab business Kind of became a generalist. I worked in a lot of different commodities, dairy plants, orange juice plants, oh, wow. uh, a cookie plant one time. Really? A lot of beef, a lot of beef and pork plants and, and poultry plants. And it was you- usually trying to find uh, what an issue, where a problem was that was causing a problem with either quality or safety. Because you know, you hear about alerts and you hear about problems. I I worked in the uh, I worked for Kroger and opening cheese shops, and there'd be alerts coming in via fax. I think it would come or some kind of or email maybe, and they'd say, "Okay, you got to pull all of whatever because of salmonella or or pull all." Now, is that something that once that happens, then do they have to trace it? That's to trace it, right, and figure out where what part of a plant or what plant is causing this. Or usually, when they do the recall, they already know. Oh, they do. Okay. First, yeah. So they've identified the production date, the lot numbers, uh, the manufacturer, and then the they FDA or USDA would issue that recall. Oh, that was it. Yeah, it was from them. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But it sounds exciting, interesting to go into try to find unknown or unusual things, and you know, you didn't go that. Did you ever get a chance to go down that path to find things and discover things? Yeah, my first my thesis, PhD thesis. I was kind of serendipity. Yeah. I was doing some work with shrimp, pond-raised shrimp on the Gulf Coast. And so I had to, in my media, my auger, I had to incorporate a little bit of salt to get those organisms, those bacteria to grow. Well, the Wildlife Science Department was doing some nutrition studies on shrimp, and they were dying off real fast, and water would cloud up, and the shrimp would die. So Nobody at the vet school or in the wildlife science department could find anything. So when I started looking for it on my media that had 
salt in it. We, uh, we found Vibrio perihemolyticus, which was the first time it would, had ever been isolated in the Gulf of Mexico. Wow. It was a, it was a foodborne uh, organism in Japan, primarily because they ate a lot of raw seafood. Mm-hmm. So your thesis was about that, then did that help other people? Yes, because we did a lot on what were the characteristics of its growth, or the characteristics of prevention, death, time, temperature, relationship, and cooking, looking at growth and pathogenicity. So uh, hopefully it helped. You would hope so. And, it, and it, does it intrigue you when you, like things like the novel coronavirus or things that, that are coming, that are the, um, the bird flu or swine flu, do those things intrigue you? Because it's interesting how they manifest. Like it's, all the terrible things exist because of those, but what is that? How does your brain yeah, work when no, you hear about this? I still, I'm a member of the American Society of Microbiology, have been for over 50 years. Wow. I still read the journals, the ones of, of interest to me. Yeah. But yes, I like to follow that kind of stuff. I'm, so then how did your path then lead to, was it because you're part of the Texas A&M family that you... Well, we were in, uh, on the faculty at the same time. They had, they were, had just come on when I'd been there three or four years. Yeah. So I knew them and of Meat Science, of course, because we were in the Clayburg building mm-hmm. named after the King Ranch. And uh-huh. they were all, they had an entire floor of Meat Science and we had two labs for seafood. <laughs> so... <laughs> They, they, we always told them, joked with them that they might have a meat judging team, but we had a really good shrimp judging team. <laughs> so well, it was that's... fun. I know them there. And then uh, when Food, Food Waste Texas formed uh, the first board, I was a member of that board, that first board. Oh, I wasn't aware of that. Okay. Yeah. And then we, that's where kind of the barbecue camp and Camp Brisket evolved from. And it's been it's just been a great deal for Food Waste Texas and for Texas A&M. Oh, it's just, and it's one of the best. And it's something that people, obviously, you know, from all over the world come to these. And it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's an interesting phenomenon. And now, obviously, it's, it takes it. I've tried for, I think, four years to, <laughs> to go. So it's. Yeah, it's tough now. I mean, when they had to, had to go to that lottery because it was just so many people jamming the system and crazy. Still very popular. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and they had to, and then the pandemic changed and pushed everything out because there's another one in July, right? There's another camp in July. I believe so. Or will you be at that one? I will be. I used to teach some food quality and safety, and one of them, uh, Davy Griffiths, teaching that now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started off. I, I was intrigued with smoke and the complex chemistry of smoke and meat. So I tried to teach a course a couple of times called the chemistry of smoke. Okay. Well, it was a little bit over the heads of, <laughs> I think our guys and the boredom a little bit. So we toned it down and I've been part of the uh, smoke panel uh, with some of the pit masters. And that's fun. Is that the one with Homer? Homer's been on it. Uh, Brian Brazewell's been on it. Joe Risky's been on it. So there's different ones. Uh, Perini's been on it. I've been going to it. I can go to it every chance I get. See College Station again. Well, so where do you live now then? I'm in Fort Worth. 
Okay, you live in Fort Worth because so you live closer close to the meat board there, or closer to the. Oh, I'm uh, about a mile. <laughs> You're very close. Lights from it. <laughs> You're very close to it. So yeah. how? So so then, how did that come about? Well, I moved up here in 1999 to uh, implement HACCP program in some meat processing plants, okay. and my boss was Don Ray. Huh. Uh, he's now my partner in, in the meat board. We became good friends. Uh, kind of went different paths. Uh, both of us went to Tyson for a while. Wow. Uh, then we went went to, after Tyson, I went to Standard Meat Company, which in every Aggie meat guys is the dream come true. Why is so that? It's just a wonderful environment, wonderful family. They, they do a great job of providing quality meat. They cut steaks for Outback. They do a lot of stuff for HelloFresh. There, it's all good technology, new technology. It was fun to give a tour of the plant. So after Standard, uh, Don and I were, uh, and I still do some work for Standard. Don and I were sitting in the office one day and talking about, it's really not a good butcher shop in Fort Worth. And, and I had been asked by one of the participants at Camp Brisket, where can you buy good meat in Fort Worth? And I didn't have a good answer for him. Uh-huh. I didn't didn't want to slander anybody, but I didn't want to. I wanted to be honest, so I said I really don't know of one. So Don had been in meat business all his life with Safeway, uh, KPR Foods, Food Brands America, IBP, Tyson. He just he's got a pedigree that's unbelievable. Yeah, sounds like it. Yeah. So he, he and he has a passion for it as well. So we talked about it and said, well, let's put a little plan together and see what happens. Well, we bounced that around for like three years because we couldn't find the right, what we thought was the right location. Okay. So where the meat board is now, we said, if we, if we can't make it work there, we just, we can't make it work. Mm -hmm. So we opened uh, two and a half years ago, two months before COVID. (laughs) Yeah, I remember. We had a great business plan. You know, <laughs> and then we got COVID too. And so <laughs> it, it was just a mess. We don't know whether we did good or bad, but we're still here and we're, we're clawing. Yeah, no, I, I can imagine. And, and, and between, between, not, between us and whoever's listening, a lot of people that I've spoken with have had, have opened up things a month, had opened up things right a, like a month before the pandemic hit. So it seems right. like it's, it, it's a it's a weird synergy that happened and and the, the the fact that you guys are around and that's why also too i wanted to shine light on it because a lot of people i talk to are in fort worth and dallas or fly to that area or come to the area and i wanted to know how great it was so then you opened to up two and a half years ago is it what are the hours now and what all do you offer and to be to be honest a lot of cities don't have really great butcher stores i have there's one good butcher shop near me but it's it's falling to the wayside, I think, because people aren't. I just, I don't know why I, I miss the old butcher, butcher shops. Yeah, and that we wanted to create that atmosphere. Mm-hmm. So we have a cooler, a cutting room with a huge glass window in front of uh, it. I think I've seen. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so you can watch these guys uh, trim their tenderloin, trim their ribeyes, cut the steaks right in front of it. If you want an inch and a quarter or inch and a half. Uh, everything we have is either upper choice or prime. 
and it's all aged for at least 30 days. Not the tenderloins, but the other cuts. Yeah. yeah. And so we, we have a good offering of poultry, uh, seafood. We've got uh, lamb. We've got pork. We can get you about anything you want, but we, we like to concentrate on those beef, middle meats, the strip, yeah. the ribeye, and tenderloin. Specific ranches that you work with? Well, we've looked at that, but it's, it's pretty much logistically impossible right now. I understand. Uh, we still got to, I mean, the volumes that they produce are not enough to, to impact time in a packing plant. Makes sense. They might be doing three to 4,000 head a day. Gotcha. So we, we buy stuff out of the Midwest. Uh, most of it's branded. And it's, uh, it's within some size ranges that we like. So they're not the big subprimals where we have to cut thin steaks. We can cut thicker steaks. So we've, we've been fortunate. That we've got two or three really good suppliers for that beef. And are there butchers, are they butchers that you had known for a while? Or did you bring in butchers that you trained? Or We have, uh, we have one that came from another meat company. And uh, he, he's very knowledgeable. He's Don's uh, stepson. Oh. So he's he's got a a little bit of that in his blood mm -hmm. and the others we've trained don takes them back he's very meticulous and uh, pretty pretty specific on what he wants a steak to look like so if you if you buy a strip you're going to be able to eat 98 percent of it wow yeah so he, he's he teaches them and teaches them buyer spec so most of them have been trained in-house we tried to build a staff early. We wanted them to grow with us. We wanted to have bench strength. We, we have a boardroom where we're going to teach classes and do demonstrations. It's a nice I think I thing. talked to Joe in that room. I think that's the room I might have that's, Yeah, he was in there when you... When okay. You, that's a nice room. So that's a smart idea. So what kind of classes are you going to... Well, we, we had the first class we scheduled was how to make gumbo. And because it was in February... Mm -hmm. It was cold. Yeah, no, that's perfect. Sounded good. And then COVID hit March. <laughs> oh, it was that February. Okay. The yeah, bad so February. <laughs> okay. we, we had to cancel it and we didn't couldn't do anything for a long time. Yeah. But we're doing some what we call steak 101. Uh Joe does a brisket class for us. Great. We do some charcuterie board, wine pairing classes and stuff like that. So we're getting back into into the groove there. We also have a small lunch menu. Mm -hmm. We have maybe eight to 10 sandwiches that are just really good. We've got a, a steak sandwich that's grilled tenderloin. That's uh, our number one seller. And we've got a double cheeseburger. Looks so good. Wagyu hot dog with four sixes chili on it. We've got a Bell and Evans chicken breast sandwich that's outstanding. We've got a bacon. Lettuce, tomato with an egg. It's really good. That sounds so good right now. <laughs> and now we have a brisket cheese melt. Ah. Uh, that's some, killer. Yeah. Something special about brisket and cheese. It's a great item. So we, and so we have some tacos and salads. What time, so, what hours are those, is lunch for you guys? Uh, 11 to 2. Okay. We're open Tuesday through Saturday. From 11 or 10? So the store opens at 10. At 10, okay. And we close at 6. Okay. The butcher shop closes at 6. So are people, are there a lot of people calling in for me? I know that during, right when the pandemic hit, 
there was a mad rush to get meat because people were nervous that they wouldn't be able yeah. to. Did you guys and have we, that same? And we had it too. That was that was good. No, I think they and the, the experience of coming in and seeing that meat, oh, seeing everything around it, picking out the one you want is is important. So we don't get we get some carry out or call in but not yeah. much we're uh, in the process of trying to launch an e-commerce portion of our business so we'll be able to send out uh, frozen steaks and gift boxes oh that's smart oh that's really smart okay well let me uh, let me know when that comes out yeah, definitely because yeah. we're we got a packaging machine that's unbelievable so it makes a really pretty presentation and protects that steak for six months easy and when you cut it open, it looks like fresh meat again. <laughs> it does. It's it's shocking. It's surprising because I yeah. ordered a I ordered a lot during the pandemic just to see kind of what people were doing and the ones that knew what really knew what they're doing. When you open it up, it is really pretty. Some of them, and that's part of the question that when I want to get to is is kind of how these things happen. But one of the good things that people can know that are watching this, listening to this, that they should visit. And I want to kind of know what area in Fort Worth it is. But the you're behind it too because food safety is in your blood. It's integral to you. So you know that you're going to get good product, whereas you're not always sure every place that you go to. Yeah, no, I, they, uh, they kid me about it a lot. Don does. He calls me his redneck microbiologist. <laughs> and I have the cleanest meat in town. But it's important. It's it's very important. And it's it's uh, there are a lot of just simple rules. Can we talk a little bit about them? And can we talk a little bit about freezing meat too? Because I don't think people know the rules that go with that too. Sure. What do you want to talk about first? Let's talk. We'll talk about. Well, first, I think I, I if we could mention the danger zone, but I think that that might not necessarily resonate with everyone. When say say someone buys a steak from you guys, how long would you say, or would how long would it last in the refrigerator? And then if you were to freeze it, is there a special way to freeze it so you don't damage it? Somebody's going to have the steak uh, today or tomorrow. We wrap it in regular butcher paper. Okay. It's going to be longer than that. We vacuum package it for them. So it, it'll last a little bit longer. And then if they want to freeze it, it's in a great condition, a great package Perfect. for freezing and for sous vide later on. True. Yeah, very true. Say you bought even just across the board, say you bought a steak, how long safely can you keep it in a, you know, say a Ziploc, like a sealed container, how long can you keep it in your refrigerator? Or is there a, a certain time frame? Are you looking for something or what are they? Well, it, de it depends on the temperature a lot mm -hmm. of the refrigerator. Uh, if, if you can maintain it around 38, a lot of them are in the 40s. Yeah. But, but 48 uh, a week easy maybe 10 days, uh, frozen, fast freezing is important. Okay. Fast thawing is important. Can you explain fast thawing? I like to, I like to thaw in cold water. So it's, uh, if I have a frozen steak, it's probably thawed in 30 minutes. Would you put it directly or put it in the packaging? In the, in in the packaging. Yeah. yeah. In the pack <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> yeah. That sounds no. stupid to ask, but I think someone might listen and go, oh, let's drop a steak and cold water of it. Okay. You'd have a mess. Yeah. You'd have a mess. <laughs> Definitely. So that's okay. So that's okay. I didn't even, I never thought, of, I don't know why I've never thought of that. And I've, I've, I've always thought 
in the refrigerator. And I don't know if that's, is that, a, is that okay? Yeah, that's okay. And that's what's recommended. Okay. Uh, not on the countertop while you're gone, uh, but in, in the fridge. So it's going to, it's going to thaw, but it, the, the point there is going to thaw slowly. Really slow. So you're going to see more purge, more juice come out of the steak than you would if you thaw it rapidly in cold water. Ah, so then it's, it's so, so for a better product and better end product for you, it's better to thaw it rapidly. That's a great, that's great advice. I'm sure you guys tell people that when, and, and I'm sure you try to ask them, are they going to be freezing and, and, but sometimes you, you plan on eating something in a day or two, things come up and then you have to end up freezing. Is it safe to have it? Like say it's five days and then pop it in the freezer. Is that, are you putting yourself at risk? Or are you putting the stick? No, it should be fine. Okay. It'd be fine. And the, the same principle for freezing applies to thawing or vice versa. Uh, a slow freeze will build large ice crystals in the individual cells of the meat because meat's about 75% water. True. So if it's building an iceberg in there, it's going gonna, it's gonna to rupture the, the cell wall of the meat and create more purge. And we'll so the- freeze it rapidly, then it forms a lot of small crystals in there and they don't form that large iceberg. So, so freezing it rapidly, would that be like sticking it near the back of your freezer? I think that's the coldest point, isn't it, of most freezers? Or? Yeah, yeah. Uh, of course, in, in industry, we have blast freezers. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you want to, I like to put them on a, on a sheet tray, put them in the, in the freezer, and then uh, probably two hours later, package them up, store them. That's yeah, that's my I sadly I have the smallest freezer in the world right now. I plan on my when in my next iteration, I plan on getting a much larger refrigerator yeah. freezer. But it's but that 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 sounds that's a that's a smart way too. Is if if you like you spoke of ice crystals and is freezer is that what is considered freezer burn or freezer burn something completely different? Freezer burn is com- completely different. Uh, because most of these freezers and refrigerators are frost free. They're pulling moisture out of the air. And they start pulling moisture out of the surface of that steak if it's not vacuum sealed. And so you start getting kind of a grayish yeah. look on the top. Uh, I've seen vacuum packaged steaks that had pinholes in them. And so it freeze burned through the pinhole. Ah. And, and people thought the steak had worms, <laughs> but it's just dried pieces of meat areas of meat oh in like a pinhole shape yeah right. perfect circle oh wow that's that's interesting well they with uh so with freezer burn is that something you would just toss or is there can you cut around for it or is that even uh it? usually by then you have not taken very good care of it uh-huh. and it's it's going to take it's going to have an off taste and it's yeah. better to just get rid of it and do it and do a better job next time yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> keep at it. Yeah, keep trying. Uh, and then with chicken, with chicken, chicken obviously, you're not. I don't know why people do this, but you're not supposed to rinse it off with water. Correct. That was a people wash their chickens forever because they're trying to get rid of salmonella. But what they're doing is they're splattering salmonella on their sink <laughs> and, and surrounding area, and they don't clean it up good. So 
there's a chance for cross-contamination there to other food products. Yes. And yourself and other things. Yeah. So what, so how would you recommend when you purchase chicken, do you recommend just cutting off pieces that you don't like, but that's it. Wiping it down, patting it down. Maybe? You can, I, I pat it down, dry it with paper towel or something. Yeah. I think, I know that I've, <laughs> I've dated people that are very phobic of like little red marks in the chicken or like little, like anything that's, <laughs> that's yeah. fun. It doesn't bother yeah. me so much. Just blood veins. And yeah, exactly. Pop. Probably the same people that don't like a, a rare steak. I think. <laughs> How do you like your steak? Uh, medium rare. Mm-hmm. I, when I grew up, we, we ate everything extremely well done. And I learned, <laughs> I learned to like it. Yeah. And then later on, when I was uh, working at a steakhouse in A&M, I started trying better pieces of meat and cooked medium to medium rare. Mm-hmm. Huge difference. Oh, huge, huge. I, I grew up on rare because my dad liked rare. My brother likes medium. My dad, my brother... Uh, he likes if he gets a fillet, he get he likes he tells him to butterfly it and make it well done. <laughs> no, it's, it makes me so sad. <laughs> like a place like Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, I'm like, oh please, that's not. Please don't go sit at another table. Yeah, yeah don't let don't let anybody see us. And also too, the chefs are probably like, oh please. But I guess I'm sure there's I'm, I'm sure a lot of people like that. But it's I I prefer medium rare now than I did. I don't because sometimes when I get it, when I order rare at places, it tends to be raw almost like they don't. I don't think they get that. As... Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to hit the mark mm-hmm. unless unless you're doing sous vide. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of times on those thicker cuts, it's going to have that purple color in the middle. Do you have a sous vide a little machine at your house? Oh, we do. Yeah, we don't use it a whole lot, but uh, I like to do the reverse sear, which is very similar. Can you explain reverse reverse sear to people? Well, it's just uh, cooking this. The steak or the roast or like a tri-tip at a low temperature in the oven, say 250, 275, until the inter- internal temperature of the meat is around 120. Then you turn on the broiler or take it out and put it on on the grill to get some grill marks on it and char the outside. Yeah. So it gives you uh, more depth of medium rare because it's not trying to, the hard heat's not trying to go through to the middle. And it's it's almost flawless if you know it. After a while, it's it's an easy thing. You know, a Wagyu tri-tip, reverse seared, oh, it's killer. I love tri-tip. I, I grew up eating tri-tip and yeah, there's slices. I like, I make, like making like tri-tip French dips and different like that. So uh, that, do you guys sell tri-tip? We do. We tell everybody it's a California brisket. <laughs> It is sadly. Yeah. There's a lot more brisket. When I first, about 10, 10 years ago or so, I lived in Texas for a year, but I, when I came back, I could find no brisket other than maybe at a, a deli or somewhere. Yeah. But, but now, now we have a lot more options. <laughs> I had to move to Chicago for a couple of years and I went to the meat market and I asked them for brisket. I said, we don't, we don't have any briskets, but we can order you one. So fine. They ordered me a brisket. It's corned beef when I got it. <laughs> they got you a corned beef. Yeah, hey, you know, it's close. <laughs> close. Same cut of meat. Yeah. Don't a lot of a lot of corned beef places. I mean, places that do corned beef isn't it the navel? Or yeah, because but that brisket flat still 
premium. Yeah. We we do some homemade pastrami every once in a while at the store and it's it's great. Uh so, you, so is that something that if you you should pop in like that's not something that you announce. It's just something that's there. If... Usually uh St. Patrick's Day or something like that. Oh, we'll okay. do it as a special. A lot of people don't have the space to 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 right, do right. No, we we've got a really good recipe and Ty's been helping me with that. He's good at it. So ah. Yeah, and that's that must be fun to have him working with you. It is, it is that kind of mentor him. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he comes from good genetics. Definitely. So, yeah, and <laughs> and he came out of the meat science department and so he knows yeah. his way around a knife. And that's important. And it's important to have you want to have people that are passionate about what they do, and it's in his blood. And and I I had mentioned Homer. I spoke to Homer about a year ago, maybe a little bit longer. And it was, what a great conversation that was. And it was so interesting. And he's, there's so many interesting individuals in the barbecue world, but especially that kind of roam around, like around the camps too, it seems like you guys get it. Well, that's where I first met Homer was at a barbecue, I mean, at a chuck wagon cook-off in Austin, Texas. Really? I, I had the chuck wagon as well. And I was oh, I didn't know that. Competing. I, well, I'm not as, kind. I'm not as, uh, famous as Homer. <laughs> These guys in the chuck wagon, it doesn't matter what you, if you ran out of something, they're going to loan it to you. If you got a piece of equipment that's broken, they're going to help you fix it. It's an amazing culture. Wow. That's, I would love to come. I would love to go to one of those cookouts someday. That's, that's another dream of mine. And that's, and that, it sounds like the barbecue world, but it sounds like even like that's like shirt off your back kind of community. Well, it's a, it's, tougher work mm -hmm. than cooking a brisket <laughs> because you got to set up the camp and build all the fire and the coal coal management is the key to the whole thing so it's a, it's a lot of fun my my daughter was in in high school and loved to do that loved to help me with it well she graduated and went to AM and got a master's in meat science and microbiology taught the barbecue class for four years was and now it's off in Washington DC. So I don't have any help on the chuck wagon. Uh, My wife and I can't do it by ourselves. <laughs> it's a it's a lot of work. Did you so did you do it? Did you get into it because of the competition aspect or did you get into it because you were doing it at home or how did it it was Don, Don Ray and I again uh we, we'd read where you know when the cowboys got too old to work the cattle they became the cook. So we we decided we'd been heard enough on that end. Let's let's become the cook. Okay. I think that's more dangerous than working cattle. Yeah, it's not, it's 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 hard work too. Hard work, very hard. I'll also, but I guess like in the older days, it was you were also the medic and you were also the. Oh yeah, the barber, barber, counselor. <laughs> Big, probably that's one of the biggest roles that you were. Yeah, right. you had to listen to all these stories of all these guys and. <laughs> But you have that background because of your military background. You could you could have probably helped someone if they uh, if they get injured or. I, yeah, I, I think I think I could. Yeah, we trained one 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 of the units I was in. We trained uh, army medics, combat medics. So we knew all the basics. That world is fascinating too for me because when you go back in time and look at the different wars and the survivor rate and how many 
like there's things that people died of way back when that they that they now come home and they're they're wounded and they're you know, missing limbs and there's the people survive things that you never would imagine because of the oh, advancement. so then it's open tuesday through saturday from 10 a.m till you said p.m Six. so from 10 a.m till 6 p.m and then there's lunch and then is there anything there's all there's grab and go stuff too right grab and go and uh, we do some uber eats They'll come pick up some stuff from time to time nice. we have good grab and goes uh twice baked potatoes mac and cheese green chili hominy casserole oh. <laughs> cream cream corn asparagus we have the salads we have a house salad a caesar salad so it's a one-stop so, shop the one stop and you can get a bottle of wine on the way out that's great that's really great now in is there a place in fort worth for people that live in the area are there landmarks or is there some is it near something so people know where it is it's across almost across the street from the ridgely country club okay john camp Bowie, which is the main artery going east and west it's in a in a big center with walgreens okay so it's easy to find we have a lot of we're on the corner so we have a lot of easy parking and I, Joe had mentioned something about eventually doing barbecue. Is that something that you'll have possibly someday? Is that you'll have a barbecue oh, option? Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. No, we're doing that. Oh, right now. So if you want to get a... We are. So, so you can go come there and order a brisket or order... Sure. Oh, okay. Brisket, whole smoked tenderloin, prime rib. Excellent. Okay. That's... Yeah. Holiday, holiday season, we, we move a lot of those. Especially the turkeys and prime ribs and... All that yeah, smoked turkey, smoked turkey breast is crazy good because it's a hundred percent edible. Yeah, and they're big too. People, I don't think people realize how big they. No are. waste. Yeah, no, it's and it's it's one. It's a, to me, it's a sleeper. I hate to calling something a sleeper, but it's a it's such a great to order at a barbecue place, and it sounds like it'll be great from you guys. Well, I forgot to mention that we we do have a smoked turkey wrap. Oh. Yeah, it's lettuce, tomatoes. It's got a special avocado aioli sauce on it and a piece of bacon from South Central Texas. And it is awesome. You sell bacon too on its own, right? We do. We sell bacon. Uh, we get it out of Bernie, Texas. Fine huh. smokehouse down there. And it's oak smoke instead of hickory smoke. Oh, okay. It's kind of unusual for bacon. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's got a great, great flavor to it. And then, I, and then I, I wanted to—I'd be remiss to not ask you about the chili because you sent me the video, and that was—I love chili so much. And <laughs> was fun. yeah, ah, four sixes. You can go go online uh, to the four sixes store, and they have this chili for sale over the internet. So we <laughs> developed we developed the recipe for them. That video that I sent you was developed for a competition that we're currently in and i can't talk about it okay all right so so stay tuned for that yeah we'll stay tuned for that why why is chili so important to you i've told you my uncle uh, loved to come to the deer camp he always made chili and uh, he brought ground tenderloin to make chili because he said you need good meat and chili not bad meat and chili but his chili was unbelievable. I've been going down to Terlingua for probably 15 years now, judging chili at the international championship. 
So I thought I knew how to make uh, what I called a terlingua worthy chili. And the four sixes, we were doing some stuff with them and they asked if we could make them a, a chili mix. So what I did is I, went, I pulled out like 10 of the most famous chili recipes, two of them previous winners at Tulangua. And I don't think they tell you everything they put in there. Imagine. So I put it in a spreadsheet and I had the chilies across the top, the ingredients down the side, and then the amounts each one. And I said, well, what, what is the best combination maybe of those chilies? So I put them together, what I call a hybrid chili that's really pretty decent. It's and easy to make. Easy to make with this. With this, all, all you need is good meat, right? Or you, oh, you probably need some other. You need. Uh, you meat. need two two pounds of meat, uh, thirty two ounces of chicken broth, and an onion. That's it. And that's it. Uh, that's a, like and I had mentioned in our emails back and forth. I had mentioned that I back. This is probably fifteen years ago. Right? I probably twenty years ago. I bought a number of the books, like with all the winners of all the chili competitions and i just went through i think i made 15 i killed my friends my friends because i'd always make it too spicy i think but i i I just wanted to try it out i love there's a so and then i eventually found one that i love but i haven't made it in so many years because i've been taking care of my mom and i haven't had like had the she doesn't like spicy things so it doesn't anything with spice too so but but it's that sounds so that so you can get that online but you could also get that at at the meat board right Meat border, yes, sir. I love the the analytical nature that you put into it. That's, I think that's very clever and it's smart. And then also, and it but also has to be something that makes sense to you. Yes, yes, and it's it's a it doesn't blow your head off. It's got a little bite to it, but chili's okay. supposed to it should. And if you at the end decided that you need beans, <laughs> add them without me seeing it. Okay. I won't. I won't add beads. It's, it's you know oh. what coming from being a Yankee. I, <laughs> I guess I'm a Yankee. I'm in Southern California. I think I'm from the South, but apparently I'm not. But it's uh, I. I don't put beans in my chili, but I don't disperse. But I know that it's not. It's definitely sacrilegious. It is in Texas. It is for sure. But some people do like. I've talked to off camera, and I, they they won't say it on 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 the air. They do like beans. Do you like beans? But you like beans. You have a bean recipe online, right? Oh, we love beans. Love beans. We, we eat them together, but not mixing them together. Not mixing them. Not in the same pot. Yeah. Do you have a favorite then? But you do have a. Did I find? I thought I saw when I was searching things about you. You have a, a baked bean recipe online, don't you? Uh, I don't think so. Or someone attributed something to you? Do you have you made baked beans before, and then someone maybe maybe yeah. wrote about them? Did you make it for something? Maybe. Could be. Yeah something yeah. <laughs> so on baked beans i like to buy bushes and then i jazz it up a little bit yeah doctor it up with some more stuff yeah, yeah. i don't that, that's not too but, bad but pinto beans you know completely different story and those are the ones that all the ranches cook all the chuck wagons cook from the raw form right yeah they're dry mm-hmm. and the, at the competitions they they just give you a whole bag of them say fix some beans oh okay i can use their own their own recipes most of them are going to use bacon or ham hocks something to flavor it up a little bit how often do you eat hominy 
hominy is unbelievable. I used to hate hominy because it was one of the school cafeteria meals when I was growing oh. up. <laughs> so it was so cheap. But chuck wagons, we learned you put some cream and cheese, and green chilies, and bacon, salt, and pepper, then bake that as a casserole. It'll convert you over to becoming a hominy lover. I still need to do that. I have a, a specific, I have a recipe that was given to me that I need to try and it sounds very close to what you were just saying. So I. Yeah, Tom, Tom Perini had, had one in his cookbook. That's, that's probably, I'm going to say the, the DNA base for all the others. And I've been talking to Lisa back and forth because I'd like this. I want to highlight what they do too. And I, and she's been trying, but they're, they're very busy people. Oh yeah. 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 She keeps them busy. <laughs> she probably, and it's, but they're, seeing that that fireplace the the photo i've seen photos of the fireplace and it's like it's mythic in, in my head at least it's well, yeah it's that's a nice place beautiful place yeah i think i'd like to stay there someday i think that don't they have some cabins or some cottages they or, do okay they do and a cup of coffee out there early in the morning you probably see 15 or 20 turkey oh that's great wild turkey yeah my my mom this is a funny story my mom was talking to a woman on the phone and she lived up in, she had camp. She lived in Buffalo, but they had camp maybe in Canada or something. And she said, she was on the phone with her and she said, hold on one second. I, I need to shoot a turkey. And then so she put the phone down. I guess my mom could hear everything that was happening. And then she came back and then she said, okay, I just, Brian got home. He's going to hang it. <laughs> but she went and sh shot a turkey while she was on the phone. <laughs> so it's, I just, I just love that. Like living in suburbia, growing up here, I and when living in Texas for a little while, I started to understand, and I've and I've started to understand more about the ranch lifestyle and understand about what Texas is about and what the South is about and cowboy culture and it's it fascinates me and it's something that if I feel like it's in my blood, it was in my father's blood. He loved things that yeah. he, but it just he wasn't like he was a salesman. He wasn't. A, and that's you know that's what uh, Food Waste Texas goal is is to preserve those different foods from different parts of the state mm -hmm. east texas is going to be different cooking than west texas maybe north texas is going to be different than south texas so they try to preserve all of that it's it's fascinating it's important really important yeah i wanted to finish off by because because now that fort worth has a bounty of wonderful barbecue places have you been to any of the newer places i have not been to uh, goldie's it's a, it's, it's a pretty good little ride and I don't want to stand in line. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe <laughs> we could email, we could email Lane or <laughs> Johnny or something. But we don't have, we don't have any bad barbecue in Fort Worth. No, no, no. So there's, and I, and I guess you, if you name one, you would be missing out on naming 15 or 20 others. So, That's I, but, correct. but do you could, do you have an offset cooker at your house or do you? Uh, not in my house. I, I, cook on a Weber grill, yeah. gas grill, when I'm cooking brisket. But uh, we have an offset at the store. So it's actually Joe's. Have you have you cooked a brisket from start to finish yourself? Is that something that you do or is that? Absolutely. Pretty good at it. This is so great. I, I, I think that people at least will get a chance to get to know you a little bit better. And I know that they'll, they'll at least see your face now at camp and then maybe associate it with this. I want them to associate it with the meat board. It sounds like the meat board is perfect. You can come in, get some lunch and then order steaks for meat 
for the for the night and get all the other accoutrements. It's sounds correct. Cool. Problem is, after eating one of our lunches, you may not be very hungry that night. So you should, but also too, you should probably order before you eat because I think that you order more. Yeah, that's right. That's why you don't go to the supermarket when you're hungry. No, <laughs> it's always no. A, it's always a mistake. But Dr. Nick, thank you so much for taking the time. Is there anything that we missed or that you want people to know about you or know about what you guys? Well, from the list you sent me, we've covered a lot of it. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time. God be with your mother. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Have a a great evening. I appreciate it. Okay. Thank you.